welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Welcome, this is Pastor Eric, and I'm sitting here in my office with uh, Pastor Phil, and Pastor Ben is out on vacation this week, so he will not be recording with us. Um, But this week we are continuing our conversation on life groups, and we're walking through our acronym on what life groups are and what they do. And the first one, it's, it's the acronym LIFE. And so the first one is life sharing, the second one is intentional caring, the third one is faithful living, and the fourth one is encouraged calling. So we've been walking through um, those four things, we've done life sharing and intentional caring. You can go back and listen to the episodes earlier from the last few weeks on those. But today, we're going to talk about faithful living. And faithful living is, is another way to say spiritual growth. Um, and some people who are hearing that now, if you're in the Lutheran camp, maybe you kind of bristled, you know, at even me saying spiritual growth. Um, and so, Pastor Phil, to get us started, why um, can, can you just give us your opinion? Uh, what What is the popular American Christian way of talking about spiritual growth? What's the um, Lutheran conversation uh, or what is the kind of Lutheran opinion when it comes to that? And why might there be some tension for Lutherans when we talk about oh. spiritual growth? Um. Well, first of all, <clears throat> when you talk about spiritual growth, Lutherans immediately say, but we're not saved by our works. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that answer tends to exclude <laughs> the notion of spiritual growth. And uh, we miss out on a very important part of the Lutheran faith. Luther emphasized so much baptism as dying and rising with Christ, which is the central idea in, in, Luther, in growth, spiritual mm-hmm. growth for, in, in Luther's thinking and in our, in our confessions. The American approach to spiritual growth tends to be, um, can, err, the Lutheran criticism would be it errs on the side of, um, a personal achievement. Mm-hmm. Something I pull off, something I do by my own effort. The problem with that is that this one who was carrying out this effort to be more spiritual is essentially a sinner. And so this sinful self is taking charge of spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that Luther addresses right at the very beginning, that this sinful self is what must die. Mm -hmm. And the self dies through um, acknowledging my sin, repentance, and then hearing the word of forgiveness. That is kind of the heart of Lutheran understanding Mm -hmm of spiritual growth. That sinful self must die. There are three enemies, the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh. And the the one that Luther really addressed, and that we're addressing here, the other two, the world and the devil, are real. They are real enemies. But the most difficult one to deal with is the sinful self. Yeah. And if you take if you ignore that and think you're going to achieve something spiritually or grow spiritually without taking into account my sinful self is at work here, it will corrupt everything. And mm. that's got to be addressed at the very beginning of spiritual growth. My sinful self must die. And that's the secret to spiritual growth, mm. the, the, the sinful self dying, repenting, um, and hearing the word of forgiveness, uh, realizing I, um, I bring nothing to this. It's all Christ and his grace and the work of the Spirit within mm. my heart. So I know that as I was going through college and as I was entering into the pastorate, um, I was was uh, digesting a lot of information um, about discipleship and about spiritual growth, mm-hmm. about spiritual practices, spiritual formation. Um, and some things uh, would air all the way from what I think might be a healthy conversation about spiritual formation is – spiritual practices that help you um, mm-hmm. open up, that help you kind of die to yourself so that mm-hmm. God can fill you, all the way to um, 
here are disciplines that you can do the 12 steps to be a disciple of Jesus, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. flavor. So I read everything from one to the other. Um, and, and I would say probably the most prominent in popular American Christianity would be kind of the latter approach yeah. uh, where you have, and it's very popular. It's, and it actually um, is probably best expressed in um, how the Saddleback Church, the big mega church out of California, uh, which has really been the, the in the yeah. 2000s, the 21st century American church experience, um, where they have like a, they have a step-by-step approach where you're a non-believer and there are various things that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, that mark a non-believer. Then if you're like, you're a seeker, so you're maybe interested in spirituality and then there are various things that kind of constitute being a seeker. And then there's uh, a new believer and there's various things and there's a maturing believer. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are various things that come along with that. So there's almost like, it's like a ladder where you go from rung to rung and you know, based on certain markers that you've made it to mm-hmm. the next level. So why would, why might that be, uh, damaging or why might that be dangerous uh, for us a lutheran theologian gerhard ferdy described it as climbing jacob's ladder yeah yeah and you you've no doubt read mm-hmm. that eric mm-hmm. and and that's the very that's the it, the american spirituality does not deal with the depth of sin in the self mm. it does not deal with the reality of sin and luther was so very aware of that um and so um the um, again, this self that's trying to grow spiritually is a sinful self. If, if you don't start there with that reality, and stay focused on that self dying through repentance and acknowledging my sin, then mm. then you um, you really can become misguided. And these efforts that I make to become spiritual become filled with my sinful self, mm. my striving, my. And it's it's all it's all messed up from the beginning, because that sinful self is the chief obstacle mm. within me mm. to spiritual growth, and uh, the devil and the world contribute to it. Mm-hmm. But my spiritual growth depends on that self dying, mm. and uh, American Protestantism. Um, uh, Mark Knoll, who wrote History of Amer- America's yeah. God, said that uh, two churches. Um, were very um, small denominations before the revolution. And with the American Revolution came a whole new transformed way of Americans seeing themselves as politically free individuals. They were formerly under a sort of a European view that you're always subject to authority. And then with the American Revolution, it engendered a sense that I'm in charge of my own life and I can make my own decisions. Mm. Well, those two churches, Methodist and Baptist, picked up on that language not inappropriately, but picked up on that language of making a decision and made that the um, the the keystone mm. to transformation. Mm. And that when people make this decision um, for the Lord, that's that, and people responded to that call to make a decision mm-hmm. because that my whole choice, the whole freedom of the individual was celebrated in the mm-hmm. American Revolution, and then they picked that up that theme. And then that became a key instrumentality for getting people to grow spiritually, making a decision for the Lord. The whole uh, sinner's bench where a person was struggling, you know. Um, Now, that's not unusual. I mean, St. Augustine, I'm reading St. Augustine's Confessions Mm. and listening to Augustine. He was struggling with his sinful self, his the lust and stuff. And he grieved and cried and wept and struggled and he said, told the Lord, I want to change, but not yet, (laughs) you know. And then... Mm -hmm. um, but so that's not unusual, but that behind that you can fall into if I if it's up to my decision, right. we forget that this self making the decision is the problem. Mm-hmm. And that self must die. And mm-hmm. whatever spirituality I I grow into will come through acknowledging the sin in myself and and then being freed by the grace of Christ. I'm always amazed. Why does God love me? Mm. You know, why does He keep on loving me all the mm-hmm. time? You know, mm-hmm. and yeah. that's the grace of God which sustains spiritual life. But mm. I'm very leery of people trying to get their self too involved in the spiritual growth. Yeah. 
the Holy Spirit has to be at the center of mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. through dying and rising. I mean, the image of baptism is dying and rising yeah. with Christ, yeah. and that's what he accomplished on the cross. Mm-hmm. He took our sinful self to death on the cross and raised a new self in his resurrection. That mm-hmm. is the meaning of participating mm-hmm. in and. Mm-hmm. That's that's the um, the means of our spiritual growth. Well, okay, I'm. <laughs> well, I think that there's also um, just to kind of add to um, what you were saying specifically with the historical um, how the the birth of America and the birth of um, what we would call decision theology, which right. we've talked about before on the podcast, they they do kind of flourish together. Yes. Um, and and I also think it has to do um, that there's a change with that first industrial revolution there in the late lat- later half of the seven seventeen hundreds. Um, there are new doors opening up for people where uh, for the first time uh, your life wasn't um, you weren't going to be born and die in the same four square miles Mm -hmm. and you were going, you know, people were living longer and there was a possibility of growing in wealth where before you were really um, kind of stuck, whatever social class, you know, that you were a part of. Um, And so I think for the first time people were there, their, their, their lives were being opened up to greater possibilities. And then that created in, in, in us. um, And we see this in the, uh, founding fathers um, is that there's this like ideal that we're going toward, and uh, and I just think of the the phrase um, from the Declaration, a more perfect union. Mm-hmm. That it's yes. like we are working toward a perfect utopia, right. and so that idea creeps into where that was never there before. Um, right. You know, all the way back from uh, all the way back to Saint Augustine when he did the when he talked about the city of God and the city of man. Yes, there are always these two cities that were kind of. Uh, at least for for humans, were always going to be around until right. glory, right? So there was this no like, oh, well, the city of man can actually be reduced, and the city of God can take over completely. There was never that conversation. It was always this two two worlds at the same time, right? Um, and so I think that when uh, Methodism and and baptism really flourished was because they uh, latched onto that idea too that there was right. some ideal. That once you became a Christian, then the goal was to get towards some ideal. And in um, in Wesley, it was he literally. I mean, he just called it perfection. He called it Christian perfection. Right. Um, that there is some ideal that you then labor and you work toward. And the way that you honored God was working hard toward that ideal. And I think that that really captured it. And even conversations with um, you know, people who are from. Uh, friends, uh, college friends that are from the kind of fundamental Baptist background, right? Um, you know, that's still very much. I mean, that's the reason that the rise of the religious right had to do with that. That there's some perfect right. ideal, um, and so it's almost those things just kind of conflated, and uh, that kind of political ideal that was starting in the late 1700s of right. a of a more perfect world right. was adopted then. Uh, by these religious movements. Um, and so you mentioned that that for Lutherans, we just say, almost offhand, say that's dangerous because <laughs> I'm going to strive. The very thing that makes me want to strive to be better is the very thing that makes me a sinner. Yes, and, and, and they're confusing of two, th- two views of progress. The horizontal level of progress, political, social, economic, mm-hmm. versus... The horizontal dimension, spiritual progress, the horizontal dimension of progress, it takes my effort, my commitment, my decision, a hard work, all of that. And it's unusual that spiritual progress in the vertical mentioned relationship with God is almost the opposite. Mm, mm. It's the death of the self, yeah. not the strengthening. So when you conflate the two, and that was well put, that you mm. gave a good historical <laughs> perspective, it was very good. And you've conflated the two, you've conflated the kingdom of this earth with the mm. kingdom of heaven, right. the two cities of St. Augustine. and uh, But the progress in the one on a horizontal level does require decision, commitment, organization, dedication, yeah. a will and a purpose that's uh, – I'm thinking of Ben Franklin and all his, mm-hmm. uh, his little mottos he taught yeah, himself yeah. about self-discipline and all mm-hmm. this. 
you know, that's the progress, an earthly progress. Right. But spiritual progress towards the kingdom of God is almost the opposite. Yeah. It's the mm. dying of that very self, yeah. Yeah. not the exaltation, not the strengthening of it, mm-hmm. but the dying of the self and Christ living in me. Mm. That is the heart of that spiritual life. So they're almost opposite. And that's why this is a helpful conversation, mm-hmm. Eric. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's why uh, Lutherans uh, tend to be very leery of uh, striving to be a better Christian. It's, mm-hmm. It harkens back to the Middle Ages, mm-hmm. the very thing Luther reacted against, that yeah. St. Augustine reacted against when the, his dialogue with his arguments with Pelagius. Mm-hmm. It, it's the self striving right. to become better spiritually. And that's just the fox inside the chicken house. I yeah. mean, that's the sinful self taking charge of spirituality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think it's important to note that, um, we we believe as Lutherans, Lutheran himself stated and scripture states um, that that uh, the, the horizontal dimension, that my relationship with um, others and my relationship with, you know, my wife and my kids and my neighbors and my work, that we should strive for excellence in those things. Yes. It's good. And, and you know, I, I think of I just read a quote um, from Luther where he says, um the the Christian lives in Christ and in his neighbor in Christ um, uh, through through Christ's work for us and in his neighbor through his love for his neighbors that we are I mean we do want and that's actually what the next one encouraged calling is all about is how do we better do the yeah. work that we're called to our vocation um, how do we better serve our neighbors and do those those sorts of things so it's not a uh, rejection of those things as good but it's a rejection of those things as that's not what makes you um, a good Christian or a better Christian. Uh, that's Christ does that for you. You know, you are not saved yeah. by your works. There are two others. different views of progress. When you put that the way you did, that progressing towards a, a better, better life on earth, uh, there are two different views of progress. Mm-hmm. Spiritual progress is one thing and earthly progress is another. Mm-hmm. And they're almost the opposite. Mm-hmm. But and and on the earthly progress, if the old sinful self is taking control, then it will also probably do harm in society because that self will want to exalt itself or get its way or whatever. Mm. So the Christian progress of the dying of the self creates a person in society who is more giving, surrendering, caring, self-giving, um, you know, willing to uh, encourage the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so our, our by by failing spiritually, which therefore we succeed because Christ is glorified, right? Christ right. Christ's work is done in us. Um, in our failure, we actually are able to love our neighbor better. Right. Um, so talk to us about, um, and we'll we'll dig more into that that next week. So talk to us, um, maybe more specifically, how then what does the this growth if if the only way up is down in the spiritual life? Right. What does that look like? Um, day to day in in the person's life, um, what what might that look like um, in the psyche, right? As you you know, so as you've walked um, with Jesus uh, mm-hmm. all these years, and as you've pastored and seen others do the same, um, what what does that look like for someone to die to themselves daily? Uh, what does that feel like? Um, how might they? Uh, how might someone know that that's that's what's actually happening in in their life? Well, you you'll know to. I think you'll notice it because you're growing in holiness. Uh, the sinful things that used to attract you no longer do, and you're having a desire for what is good and holy because uh, the Holy Spirit awakens those desires within the sinful heart and makes us more to desire what is holy and good. Mm. And that's the way you'll begin to notice that um and it it like i said it comes by dying and rising again by the dying of the self the things in my own life that have brought that about are not things i've chosen they are things that god has given to me Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the other thing about when the progress on the earthly level, I'm in charge and I'm making these choices. The spiritual growth on the spiritual horizontal level are 
testings and crosses that God gives me to kill my sinful self. I don't mm. choose those. He gives them. Um, I had cancer 25 years ago mm-hmm. and um, been cancer-free for quite a while. But that experience really brought me up against, made me see my limits and uh, surrender and uh, and um, then some trials raising our kids. <laughs> Teenagers, they really can challenge us. <laughs> they're great kids. They're, they're good parents. They're, they're married. They're doing well. I'm so proud of them. But in those high school years, there was some testing. Mm-hmm. And I had to admit, uh, I, I'm a poor parent. I did a poor job. I did the best I knew how. Mm-hmm. That was very humbling. Uh, and then my wife got cancer and the, that whole thing, that which is, and her death and all those negative things. And they were very painful. Mm-hmm. There weren't things I chose. Mm. Those were things given to me that happened to me, and God used them for my good. Mm. And so the, the, the earthly progress is how can I train and develop this self of mine to be more efficient and functioning? <laughs> the spiritual is uh, God gives me testings and trials and losses and mm. pains that are very painful, and I wonder why am I going through this? But God can use that evil for good, mm. and the the good is that the surrender of myself, the killing of my sinful self, trusting in Him. Um, we underestimate the power of sin. We mm. underestimate the stubbornness of sin. We mm-hmm. underestimate how self-centered we really are. Mm-hmm. I mean, superficially, oh, Pastor Phil's a nice guy. No, he's not. Yeah. I know, you know, <laughs> I, I know yeah. that sinful nature in yeah. me, and it, it's still there. And um, so God has given me these things, or they've happened to me, let's put it that way, and God uses those painful things mm. to kill my sinful self. Yeah, That's the crosses. And Luther never spoke of us achieving this stuff. He right. spoke it. He says, I didn't go out of my way to seek what happened. Mm-hmm. He said, it, it was, it, it happened to me and God uh, killed my, through the process, brought the death of my se- sinful self wow. and taught me to trust. So, um, yeah, I think in my own experience, um, and uh, especially when I became a pastor, because I just didn't have a category. I didn't have a category for that. When I was younger, um, that was never presented to me. And when I was in college, I was so, uh, to me, it was all about uh, obeying God and what it was really about achieving, achieving God's kingdom on earth presently. Like that's Mm -hmm. really what it was all about seeing the fullness of it presently. Um, that was the language that I adopted. And so it was like, we need to, go toward that it was that that whole like a more perfect union Mm -hmm. language um i was striving after Mm -hmm. this perfection um and it was exhausting and i was a total jerk and you know my my sin only increased you know i i i have witnessed and been and caused damage because of this like well luther called it the theology of glory Mm -hmm. um and that's and that's this because of this theology of glory of I can be better, I can strive better, I just have to work hard, attend to God, you know, walk in obedience. Um, that caused a lot of hurt in my life. Um, and most of it was self-inflicted um, pain, um, self-inflicted suffering. And then when I became a pastor, I realized very quickly that my little uh, echo chamber or my, you know, of my college where, yeah, everybody was on fire for following Jesus because we were all just students and that's what we were doing. You know, we were all young kids and very passionate and energetic. Um, and then I get into the, the parish and, uh, the, the people that I was pastoring, they had, they had work to do, you know, and they had families to raise and they didn't have the time that I had in college to, to read and pray and obsess, you know, um, over some ideal. And I, I picked up, um, uh, a book by Eugene Peterson, my first year um, in as a pastor. And I then uh, something clicked with him and I just like voraciously read, I've probably read everything that he's written, but maybe one or two books. And 
uh, he gave me a better category, uh, which ultimately is what led me to the Lutheran tradition. But the what I started to how I started to communicate how to live the Christian life was to uh, the Christian life is one of paying attention. It's paying attention to what God is doing. So when something happens um, mm-hmm. in your life, you don't ask why yeah. would God let this happen to me? Why is this happening? You ask what is God doing to me? Mm-hmm. Um, which is also the question that I ask when I'm reading the Bible. <laughs> what is God doing to mm-hmm. me in this passage? What is God doing to me um, in in this occurrence, this event that's happening in my life, good or bad? What is God doing to me? Mm-hmm. Um, and that gave me uh, a much better category to pastor and also to experience things myself because mm-hmm. it was, you know, I realized that um, it wasn't it wasn't good it wasn't the kind of like uh, pagan good versus evil where um, everything that I think or perceive as good in my life is from God and everything that I perceive as bad is from the devil, but actually God it opens and allows all of it and he uses all of it. Um, and suffering is a byproduct of sin, um, of the, of the sin of all humans, uh, but God uses it. And it's actually through, through mm-hmm. that suffering that God ha- draws you closer to him. Um, which is how Luther counseled people who are being persecuted or people who are suffering. Um, and so I never had a category for that. But then that's the that's the language that I picked up was uh, the Christian life is one of paying attention, mm-hmm. attending uh, to God in whatever situation you're in, because God's obviously put you there for some reason. He's doing something to you, and more than likely he's challenging you, and more than likely he's he's killing your sinful self and trying to raise you, raise you in Christ, um, which is a much more helpful, <laughs> much more helpful way to think about the, the Christian life. I, I, my Lutheran upbringing was, uh, your, yours emphasized, uh, uh, achieving these, uh, saving the world. So my Lutheran orientation was guilt. Mm. I knew I was uh, a Lutheran because I felt guilty. guilty. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. And the mark of Lutheran spirituality is guilt. Mm-hmm. I am a sinner. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember my grandfather saying, I am nothing but a poor, miserable worm. And it was, I, mm-hmm. that was, that's in one of the confessions. Yeah. Uh, public confessions. I am a poor, miserable sinner, a worm before and all that. And um, that was a part of Lutheran, uh, Lutheran thinking. And, and it was the emphasis on the sin within. But it got carried too far. Yeah. Then my my own um, spiritual growth started when I did some reading in of all places Carl Jung, who helped oh, me understand mm-hmm. how. At least I was able to use what he said to help me understand how God speaks to me through my soul. Yeah. And I even spoke. I was talking with somebody last Sunday after worship. I served somewhere else, and we got to talking about that how 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 to listen to God in your soul, and I. That was where I began to go on that journey you were talking about mm-hmm. of listening to God yeah. and uh, hearing um, his voice speak within me through the events of my life. And what is God telling me? You're saying, what's, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's kind of where I, I mm-hmm. came. And that was, that was probably 40 years ago mm-hmm. I started reading some of that stuff. And it became the the door to spirituality, mm-hmm. to, to an inner listening to God speak within. And listening, that's the part. Yeah. It's uh, American achievement is telling. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm organizing the world and I'm organizing myself. I'm mm-hmm. telling what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the emphasis on spirituality it, you discovered and I discovered is listening yeah. to God within and uh, discovering my sinful self. And, and the other thing I discovered as God speaks to me, Eric, is that God – really is very gentle. Mm, mm-hmm. When he points out my, I was very harsh with myself. I would beat myself up over my sins. Mm-hmm. You know, I, um, if you could have pictured, I would have had some kind of a rope lacerating my back, mm-hmm. you know, one mm-hmm. of those mm-hmm. flagellants. But um, but that's not how God addressed me. That's how mm-hmm. I address myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, and I punish myself. But um, I discovered that God speaks very gently to me. Mm. And a still small voice, mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. and and God was guiding me, and so um, I, I do emphasize that dying to self is important, but don't overdo it, and um, let right. God take the lead, and don't beat yourself up. That was kind of the 
Hmm. That was something when I my own family. It was a part of my psyche and my family. It was, sure. a, it was highly self-critical. Sure. And somehow that that was being pious, and it really yeah, was. Right. It, was, it was very abusive. It was painful, and I had to get past that. Mm-hmm. And the way I part of I got past it is listening to God speak mm-hmm. within and mm-hmm. discovering how gentle God was, yeah. and discovering God's grace. Um, I still just keep to see confronting my sin, mm-hmm. um, but I I'm also discovering His love and grace and um, and a desire for holiness that's mm-hmm. grown. Yeah. In me, but it's not something I achieved. Yeah, yeah, and I think that you know I, that's definitely been my experience too. Is it's the times that I've had, the times that I've looked back and seen the most spiritual growth are the times when I um, haven't I haven't been trying. I just one day realize, oh my goodness, like I, yeah, just like you mentioned, my my desire for what is good is greater than it was two weeks ago. Yes. And I, and I can't, I can't take any, hasn't been like, it's not like I've been increasing my prayers. It's not (laughs) like I've been, you know, it's like I haven't done anything. Yeah. Um, I've experienced things and, and, uh, listen to God and try to obey as I can. Um, and then I look back and see, you know, see how God has been operating, um, and my desire for what is good and right and lovely has been in, is is increased, and so yeah, it's exactly the same way where you just look back and you go, oh, that that has been happening. Yeah, it, it's a kind of active passivity. Yeah, mm-hmm. Luther say, exactly says right. faith is passive; it receives, mm-hmm. but it's an active passivity. I mean, you're attentive to what right. you're attentive. It's an attentive passivity. Yeah. You're listening to what God is saying mm-hmm. to you, what He's saying to your heart, what He says to you through the people you meet. God uses all these avenues to speak to us, and that's – I need to be listening. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to be listening. And I, I, I felt I, – I, there's where secularism came in. Secularism said that uh, we are an enclosed reality, physical reality, mm-hmm. and the spiritual has no impact on it. Yeah, That's the greatest damage that, that secularism does, that – Whatever's in my mind is strictly came from outside me in terms of the physical world or generated from within me. But I learned by listening to uh, Carl Jung mm-hmm. that spiritual messages come from outside me into me. They're yeah. not derived from the physical world. They're derived from the spiritual dimension. Yeah. And and uh, then you got to be attentive is uh, from the devil or from God or yeah, that's right. my confused self. But yeah. But that just opened up. That opened up everything for mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. when I realized God was talking to me. I had yeah. this notion that prayer was sort of shouting at the heavens yeah. and hoping somebody up there heard me, mm-hmm. when in fact, I had to learn to listen to God speak within me and through the Word. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and uh, another, some more language that I picked up from Eugene Peterson, uh, was, he talked about, and actually, you know what, maybe it was Tim Keller, um, now that I think about it. Um one of those two guys, I read a lot of them early on. Um, but they, uh, one of them said that, said that when you read the scripture, it's like learning, it's like learning a new language. And the way that you learn as a baby is you don't get a grammar book, a grammar book, um, but you're just immersed in the language. And pretty soon you begin to pick it up and you understand more, you mm-hmm. learn more, you're able to, to speak yeah. back. And so scripture, when we read and ingest, scripture the story um over and over and over again it doesn't work on us like a grammar book it works on us it's a story which is what you know carl jung as a psychologist what he grabbed onto was these narratives that kind of dominated Mm -hmm. our lives um and he was right in a lot of ways that that's how we process the world um but this particular story isn't just um isn't isn't just a human one or derived from human but it's actually given to us um, and it tells us uh, about God. I mean, and it's from God. It's spoken to us. Um, so it's kind of like, and I don't, I think maybe he did or Joseph Campbell or somebody, you know, it was like the Christian story is the best. It's the, it, it is the narrative of narratives, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they're both secular. I mean, not secular, but they're both not, um, we want to call them Orthodox, Orthodox Christians. No, they're but not. They're, yeah, yeah, um, we want to call them Orthodox Christians. Um, but, uh, Anyway, so as you ingest the story and read it and familiarize yourself with it, 
over time you begin to say, oh, now I now I understand what God is saying to me mm-hmm. in my day-to-day life because I've heard his voice. I've been immersed in his language. So when something comes to me, when when something happens to me, um, I'm able to identify it as of God um, or not, mm-hmm. um, or I'm, I'm at least better able to identify it yes. because I've now learned the language of how God operates yes. with people, within people. Um, and that happens through the scriptures. That's actually one of the ways I'm not the only way, but that's one of the ways that scripture works in us. And so um, it's like learning a language as a child is that you just have to, if you're not immersed in the story, um, right. then, uh, then you don't, you don't know, you know, you're, you're ill-equipped. You can't understand God because you haven't, he's speaking to you, but you just don't know his language yet. You have to live in the word so the word can live in you. Yeah. You have to live in the history, the story of scripture, the old Testament and new. You have to live in that story. So that story lives in you and you can't do it without the Bible. I mean, that Bible story, that mm-hmm. Bible storyline, that narrative line that scholars use, mm-hmm. that uh, uh, it's not a false story. It's not a, it's not a fiction. Mm-hmm. It's a real yeah. story, but yeah. it has a, it takes, history takes the form of a story. Yeah. And, and um, you live in that. And, and that, that's why <clears throat> those who can maintain their identity over against a secular world, which imposes its story, yeah. which is remove God completely. Right. I think that the secular world is such a destructive story. Mm. I, it, 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 um, it removes God from our lives and it empties our souls mm-hmm. and it reduces us to things. It reduces us to the material world yeah. and it, and, and then people spiritually impoverished, you know, why the big uh, drive for drugs? Why why these irrational killings? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, it comes out of the emptiness of the soul. Right. right. Unless God is dwelling in there and and giving life and love and grace mm-hmm. and purpose, mm-hmm. without that, uh, we become uh, we'll become a wild cannon. We become yeah. destructive and self destructive. Yeah. yeah. And. Uh, so the, the world's story, the secular world's story is very destructive. Yeah. It looks at, it, it, we like it at first because it gives me permission to do whatever I want. Right, right. The self is the center of everything. There's no right and wrong except mm-hmm. what you decide it is. So I'm free to do what I want. Yeah. There's a dark underside mm-hmm. to the secular story, mm-hmm. which is nihilism, which is emptiness. Life has no purpose and no meaning. Yeah, I can celebrate and do what I want. And then yeah. I discover life is going nowhere, has no purpose. Yeah. And and it's when people come to that point that we can tell them, oh, there is a purpose, right? Yeah. And here he is. His name is Jesus. Yeah, that's right. And mm-hmm. that story. And uh, I, but I I'm so concerned about what I think is the strong point at our church is that our young people are told learning how, or at least times they are being told how to fight back over against the the secular mm-hmm. world story. Mm-hmm. We didn't learn that. I didn't learn that growing up oh. because the Christian story was almost the nation story. I mean, the sure. community in which I grew up was very Christian yeah. and you Everyone couldn't believe the story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was you couldn't believe how the religion was in this public schools. Yeah. It was just a part of life. Well, that's all been taken out. Mm-hmm. And um now we have to help young people and us as grown-ups Stand over against the secular world, mm-hmm. be critical of it, not hate it. No, because we have to love it for Christ to save it. Mm-hmm. But, but to be critical of it and realize all the ways that that secular story is getting into us and shaping us. It, the story that gets into us is the story that shapes us. If that secular story is getting into my soul, it's shaping me. Mm. If the Bible story and the worship service that on Sunday morning that communicates that is getting into my soul, that shapes my yeah. identity. That yeah. shapes who I am. Mm-hmm. And the world story is so destructive. And I think we got we have to continually lift that up and find clear and simple ways of articulating that to help people see the spiritual dimension over against the, the this worldly material mm-hmm. dimension, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. We uh, and um, for me, it's just simply. I, I often say that God has been removed from the mm-hmm. center of things, and human beings are put at the center. And 
and yeah. other things like that. So yeah. I think it's really important, um, which is why doing doing worship the way that we do in all three of our services um, is is historically um, connected and it's it's liturgical. We want to make sure that people are equipped um, to know that uh, we want them to know the creeds. So they know they know what they right. believe. We want them to know the creeds so they're equipped for when they hear um, sermons throughout the week. You know, listening to podcasts, that kind of stuff. They know they can set it up against those things. You know, we want them. Uh, we want to rehearse the story of Christ crucified. Um, you know, as Paul says, you know, proclaim Christ crucified mm-hmm. until he comes again. Um, we want to do that every week. You know, as often as we can. Um, and I so I think that. That's why we set up our worship the way that we do. But I think that um, that also just is just as important in our day to day, or in our you know in our life groups or uh, other groups that we're a part of Bible studies. You know, reminding each other of the story. And I was actually um, to prepare uh, for this podcast. I just did a, I did some some search a few weeks ago. I did a, uh, uh, I don't know why I did it, but I. I got on a kick and I, I just kind of went through and tried to find all the places in the New Testament um, where the writers uh, use the phrase in, by, through Christ. Oh, um, yes. And yes. There's, there's over 160 of them. There are. There, I did that a while back too. Just, yes. Okay. Yeah. There's over 160 of them um, of these statements these statements from the writers, um, yeah. there are very few, very few in the gospels. Most of them, right. if they're in the gospels are in John. Um, and it's Jesus teaching the bulk of them are in the, uh, the Pauline texts, yes. uh, just cause that's dominates the, the rest of the new Testament, uh, canon, but 160 times it's in by through Christ, um, and verses. And I did the same thing with growth. Like I, I just like, you know, did like concordance search for growth, um, grow, growing, you know, all those mm-hmm. kinds of language. And um, there's like less than 20. And there are only about <laughs> six that are really about growth. Um, Colossians 2.7 says, be rooted and built up in him. Uh, so that's kind of a growth language. Right. First uh, Timothy 4, uh, he's, he's telling Timothy um, – uh, it's talking about he's talking about this kind of pursuit of of excellence and holiness, right. um, and he says he says let others see your progress. So he talks about um, how Timothy as a leader um, is an exemplar. So let others see your progress. Second um, Peter two, uh, Peter exhorts the church you, that you may grow up in your salvation into your salvation. Second uh, Peter three, grow in grace and knowledge. Um, Hebrews six one. Uh, 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 take let us move forward into maturity is the language. Um, mm-hmm. So there's the maturity language, and then Ephesians four um, that you may build up each other until you all reach the unity of faith um, and knowledge of Him and become mature. So that's those right. are like the six main um, passages that have to do with growth or development. Right. And so I just think it's striking. Um, you know, we were talking about the story and how stories are important, um, and I and I think that what we see in the New Testament is the vast majority of, yes. of the New Testament witness yes. is that uh, the life of the Christian is about identity. In Christ. In Christ. In, by, yes. or through Christ. Yes. And there are there are very few passages that are about growth. We, right. we are encouraged to grow. Um, but if we just think about how, how often Paul talks about being in Christ, and this is I'm actually going through First Corinthians for my um, uh, devotions, and and I've I've done it for about two weeks now, and, and I just will I'll admit that I don't I don't do it every day. You know, mm-hmm. I haven't been working through it every day, but for two weeks now, I've been going through First Corinthians, and I'm just to like chapter four, and I've reread the first four chapters probably a dozen times the last right. two weeks, um, and just because. It's amazing how this Corinthian church is in, it is in, it's a wreck, you know, it's horrible. Uh, it's very sinful, yes. but even within the midst of this, um, this church just being a mess, Paul uses this language of in, in, uh, by or through Christ right. so many times. And in fact, he, he tells them that they are holy, that they are. And, uh, yeah. and he also says that, um, 
he says that I think it's in chapter four, three or four, where he says it's it's after he talks about the divisions in the church and and he goes, you know, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? You have Paul. You have Apollos. You have Christ. You have everything in Christ. Right. And uh, and that's just like downright cosmic. You know what I mean? He he's telling this yeah. the sinful church, you have everything. Corinth it's, was sin city oh, in man. the ancient world. Oh yeah, it was sin city. And and that's what you see in a lot of the the letters is that the yeah. first half of the letter is just like. It is in through by language, right. in, in Christ language all throughout. He's reminding yeah. them who they are and whose they are, uh, to borrow what Pastor Ben's language about baptism, which I love. Right. You know, who you are and whose you are. And uh, and then that's then the back half usually is is more practical because right. you are a new humanity, because right. you are in Christ. These are some of the practical things that you should be seeing that you can do. Well, one way of putting that is, I got this from the divine trauma, because you are in Christ, the admonition is become what you are. Yeah, that's right. Become what you are in Christ. Yeah. Let that grow in you and yeah. and direct you and empower you. Yeah. And w- William Willimon, um, who's a Methodist uh, yes. Methodist scholar, um, and, and I really, I, I've liked him for a long time. He was really important to me. Um, after college and as I was a pastor, but he has a, a one of my favorite books on baptism um, that's called Remember Who You Are. Um, mm-hmm. And so baptism is the act of remembering, you know, dying and rising again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think, so I think that that's kind of to, to get a little bit, um, yeah, just to dig down, you know, that's when we talk about these stories, that's really what we're doing um, is that we are reminding when we know the story of scripture and we have internalized that um, we know who God is and, and, and what he's done for yes. us. Um, it's it's identity based, and it actually shapes our identity um, versus these other stories that we're told um, from the world or even from other Christian bodies yes. um, that that are that are not identity based. Where the story is, uh, you know, other other Christian bodies will say, you know, when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, all your sins were forgiven, but you better shape up. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you better shape up because. Christ died for your sins before you came to Jesus, but now you gotta now you really gotta work hard to not sin yeah. anymore. Um, and, and the and the part of you that's gonna work hard not to sin anymore is your old sinful self. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. So you can really trust that to, yeah, right. to take you where you want to go. Um, and but you know, for us, I think as as and, and specifically here at New Life um, and Lutherans, I think in general, it's really more identity based. It is. You are in Christ. I yeah. did something just as like you did. It was a, maybe a year or two ago, and one of the scriptures, maybe it was in Romans. We studied Romans or something. I studied in Christo exactly what mm-hmm. you did. The occurrences of in Christ, oh, yeah. and as you said, by Christ and so forth, and. Uh, um, I found a hundred different times in Christ, in Christo. Yeah. And uh, it just, um, I think it was Ephesians. It was the oh, opening man. of Ephesians. Oh, man. It is- you know, and, and it just becomes, uh, it just drumbeat. It just pounds into you. Yeah, I think there's, thir- I think there's mm-hmm. 13 times in that first section of Ephesians it's that, just, it's, that it's in by or through Christ. Right, yeah. right. And, and, uh, and you're drawing that out. Uh, th- that's a, that's a question of our identity, yeah. um, which is not then a matter of our achievement, right? But you, <clears throat> identity comes before behavior. Yes, yeah. Being comes before doing. Yeah. Uh, who you are in Christ then leads to what you do, mm-hmm. and uh, being in Christ is. It, 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 I, I was impressed when we looked at baptism in adult class or the Bible class that um, Paul, Jesus spoke of himself as his baptism. He he was going to face a baptism and a drink a cup of suffering. Yeah. And then he said to his disciples, the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized with too. And all of that talk of baptism was the cross. Yeah. His baptism mm-hmm. was his death and resurrection, mm-hmm. and that they would share in that his baptism, his death and resurrection. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Jesus said that. 
Who did he say that to? He said that to some of the disciples. He did he to said, the surely, disciples. Surely you will. You will. Be yeah. baptized with the baptism. Uh, uh, yeah. The they, they, it was uh, James and John yeah. who wanted to share in the Lord's right. glory. And we want to sit to you in glory when you come into your kingdom. He says, oh, you're going to share in my baptism. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you're going to share in the cup that I drink. Uh-huh. You know, and and then think about James and John. James was the first Christian killed mm. in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. John was did not die, but he went to the island Patmos, and he suffered, and he was totally transformed. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's what it means to be in Christ, and yeah. to be in Him is to be in His death and resurrection. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's um let's kind of go then as we have been the last few weeks, um, and let's let's get some let's get practical. Okay. So, in a, in a small group experience, we call them life groups. How might right. we do as we are um, uh, spurring one another on, as we are encouraging one another, life sharing with one another? How can we faithfully live with one another um, and 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 help each other live more faithfully in a small group? If it's if it really is um, a cruciform life, if we really are, mm-hmm. um, if we really do grow spiritually by by going down, you know, we go up by going right. down. What is that? What might that look like for a group who's um, studying together, learning together, praying together, living together? It's honesty. Uh, um, and now I don't think you have to share all your sins. I think sharing the the sins that really trouble and bother you belong in confession, private confession, with a someone who will promise to um, keep confident what you're saying. I go to private confession maybe. Three, four times a year mm-hmm. <clears throat> in a pastor's group that I'm part of. So that so I, I, I don't I don't encourage that unless you totally trust the situation where you're gonna be revealing some very painful, difficult things that might be embarrassing, that you keep that in a strictly confidential relationship. But sharing in the group honestly about the growth steps that God has led you on and what you were and what you are now or what you have been and what mm-hmm. God is leading you to, uh, that helps others. And then the other part would be listening to others as they articulate, try to, mm. we, we try to, um, we, we don't see clearly all the way ahead. Yeah. We only see the next few steps. And so as I try to walk the next few steps, I try to articulate that in the group. And as the people I'm listening to are trying to sort things out, take their next few steps. Hmm. Uh, not some grand plan. It's, yeah. it's just the next few steps. Um, I listen to and offer whatever I can to encourage them. Mm-hmm. Whatever I've learned, share that. And if it's of help to them, good. If it's not, then that's okay. Yeah. Um, I guess that that kind of um, honest sharing of how I took these few steps and here's this what happened mm-hmm. and yeah, the honesty is the heart of it. Yeah, I think that that's good. Just kind of digesting, working through um, what you're experiencing, good or bad, with with others. And I and I think that with that, um, we can ask really good questions um, to help people pay attention. Uh, yeah, you know, to what God is doing, which is really how I, uh, you know, when we do um, life group leader facilitator training on this topic of living faithfully, uh, I plan on focusing mostly on how we how we ask questions, um, kind of the the classic spiritual direction, you know. Okay. So paying attention to God, right? Because. Th- th- there is a place for um, because Paul does it. I think there is a place when when we can offer suggestions, correction, you know, I think yeah. that that's good. Um, I don't think that's going to happen all the time. You know, I think that we can, right. I think that we can look at our brother, our sister and say, you know, that was pretty foolish what you did. Um, right. I think that we, we can do that. There's, there's space for that. Um, but I don't think that's going to dominate uh, the, the When a person shares, they're often being, making themselves vulnerable. Yeah. And, and that vulnerability needs to be uh, respected. Like mm-hmm. And uh, and if you even said, you know, did you feel you went wrong in that, mm-hmm. you know? And um, no, I, I think 
when I preach, I easily talk about sin and salvation. I easily can um, uh, talk about the fear of hell and and that those realities. Mm-hmm. In, in a personal situation, I'm probably a bit more gentler. I think. I think. I don't know. <laughs> I want to be, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that um, because most of, if if someone is filled with the spirit, I um, I I think that God God will speak to that person, you know, and 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 so that's why I think questions are so good. It's it's a way of listening, you know, what you mm-hmm. talked about last time. Um, that listening is so important, and so oh, I yes. think that asking good questions is is part of good listening, and so I, I love the questions like. Like how do you, how did you respond to that situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in the person, the the Christian is going to say, um, "Well, you know, I was angry. I felt this. I felt that. You know, I said this." And then they're going to say, "Maybe I could have done this." And that's that's reflection, right? right? That's recognizing how my sinful self was coming up. Yeah. you know, uh, was dominating uh, in that particular situation. And, and I know that in my own life, as I've had those conversations, when I'm back into a situation where I feel that anger rising up or that uh, desire to maybe twist the truth so that it, so that I get the upper hand, you know, whatever, um, I can identify that. And, and I'm, and it's just like we were talking about, I can more consciously say, no, I'm not going to do that. I want to tell the truth in this situation. And then I can look back the next day and go, that went a whole lot better. (laughs) You know, that. Yes. Even though I didn't, I didn't make a plan to do that. Um, just being self-aware helped me recognize uh, where my sinful nature was going to try to yeah. try to work itself out and trying to like kill that, squash that in that moment, um, so that God could be glorified, so that then God could work through me uh, for the better. So I think that those questions are good because it helps you reflect yeah. on the situation and how how God was working in it how my sinful nature is working. And I think that's really important. I, I, I think, um, you know, I, I have these impulses within me <clears throat> and people don't, I let them be there and then I do what I ought to do, mm-hmm. which is what we do all the time. Yeah. I mean, our our sinful self, our, our minds have all kinds of, um, angry, whatever, yeah. resentful, bitter, whatever kind of feelings that mm-hmm. come up, and then, and then I don't act on that. I do right. what Christ would call me to do. Right. And when we do that, it generally turns out for the better, right. you know. A- and through that action, God transforms us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Because it's that's exactly dying and rising. Yes, I'm yeah. going to do what I what I don't want to do in this moment. I'm yes. And, uh, I'm going to do what doesn't make sense, what I don't want to do, because right. that's what Christ, that's what Christ do. is doing. Yeah, yeah, that's what Christ is doing in me. Yeah, yeah. but I, and I think that also another thing that we can do is, um, I think just boasting in the Lord, um, which is my the primary way that I do pastoral care. <laughs> so oh, really? Anybody, you know, if anybody like explain that. Oh, if anybody is like sick or dying, it's just like I'm like, this is what Christ has done for you. This is what scripture says about those who are in Christ. Right. Um, and that's just rehearsing the story, you know? Um, so I think that part of faithful living is just helping each other and having those conversations, which I think is what um, Paul was saying in Colossians, you know, keep your, uh, have set your mind on things above, you know? Right. Um, I think that that's what that is, is just when we're together, reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ. Uh, boasting in Christ. And so that's, you know, we had a, a parishioner who passed away this last week. Uh, uh, yeah, last week. And, and I saw her um, almost every day, um, the four or five days leading up to her death right. and or a week before leading up to her death. And every time I saw her, you know, she um, didn't respond. She was um, having heart failure and all sorts of things going on. She didn't respond. She was comatose. And I just leaned over her uh, told her, you know, who I was, um, and just started saying, "This is what Christ has done for you." That is a really this. excellent insight, yeah. Eric. I because I, I have in those situations when I see people um, in those difficult situations, I become very uh, cautious. Uh, like, how dare I say anything? Mm-hmm. How dare I, you know, make 
but you're not boasting in yourself and that no. you are boasting in the Lord. Yeah. And that is really a good insight. I mean, that. so I'm, I'm not talking about me and what I would do. I'm simply talking about Christ, who he yeah. is and what he's done yeah. and what he's done for you. Yeah. And that I need to start risking mm. that yeah. myself. Yeah, you know that's and, a good point. Well, that's Eric. what you know. That's what, my first few years when I would go visit somebody. It, I was so I was afraid to say anything, you know, because yes, I didn't want yeah. you know you don't want to preach people into heaven, um, right? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, right. Uh, especially after they die. But like, if I and that's why I always ask uh, if I'm visiting somebody um, who uh, is dying, and if if they're able to to respond, I ask them. But you know, I'll ask their spouse or whoever, you know, is this person baptized? And if they mm-hmm. say yes, then I'm like, okay, I know exactly, exactly what to say. Like, right, right, this right, is exactly right. what Christ has done for you. You are baptized, which means this is exactly right. what um, is true about you. And uh, you can, that's receive your identity. Yeah, that's, that's your, your identity. I- yes. You, you, you're boasting in your identity. You yes. can receive those things. That is what Christ has done right. for you. Um, and, you know, in, in that comatose state, like, all the evidence states that they can still hear yes, and yeah. understand. Yes. Um, and yes. so I have to believe that they are able to receive, you know, yeah. um, and that might be their last chance to, you know, that might be the last chance for them to uh, receive God's promises. Yes, you know, if yes. they've spent a life striving, um, that may be the last opportunity they have, or one of the yes. last opportunities they have. Um, to put their faith in Jesus. So that just really like, explains yeah. to me what boasting the Lord is about. Mm, yeah. In that context, that really helps me understand that. Yeah. yeah. That that's excellent. Yeah, which I have I've had great experiences with friends. Um visiting them, seeing them. Uh and we have some friends who live in Iowa and they've spent the last couple of years down there and uh they've been They've been meditating on John 15, which is the abide, abide in me mm-hmm. and I'll abide in you. They've been meditating on that the whole time that they're there. And so going, visiting them, it's like they are so good. Um, and it's really encouraged me to, to be, to, to be this way, but they are so good about that boasting in the Lord. Um, and so they are just like, you know, this is what Christ is. This is what he's done. And I'm just abiding in that right now. So. <laughs> This is how I'm abiding. I'm I'm replaying the good things that he's given me. I'm putting my mind on what is right and lovely and good. I'm you know so they are simply trying to respond to Christ's goodness, and that's really encouraged me to to yeah. boast in the Lord more because it's just like this is exactly what God has done. I yeah. I, um, I, uh, I remember yeah I, when I in those situations I've been um, um, fearful uh, how can i assert anything i yeah. i do it well from the pulpit sure <laughs> yeah. yeah but but there's, in a, there's in several a, feet in some wood in between you and the congregation yeah right well yeah. yes <laughs> and, and, and an individual basis you yeah. know uh and, and i've gotten better with that but um uh, it's like um someone said uh i'm uh, modest about god but confident of the human human beings mm. and it's just the opposite yeah we should need to be modest about what human beings do and like you said confident yeah a, a pro- boastful of what god is who he's what he does and because uh, i'm taking a risk in saying that i'm i cannot say god will do such and such right. for you right in uh, this is going to turn out this particular way right. but you're saying eric that God has done this for you in right. the past. This has been achieved right. for you. This has been given to you. This right. is yours That's through exactly your baptism right. into Christ. Yeah. And to say that with confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's how I do pastoral care. <laughs> yes. That's the only way that I know how to do pastoral that's care. That's very good. Because, that's very good. Because everyone, you know, everyone struggles um, with different things and people come to the end of their life and they're, they're like, well, you know, the question is, did I do enough? And they think back, oh, well, my kids yeah. don't believe or my kids are this way. And, yeah, yeah. you know, I've, you know, I haven't treated my spouse, you know, it's like all these questions. And it's like, yes. none of that matters because none of that saves you, you know, like, right. yeah, you've done those things. Everybody has done those, you know. Yes, yes. So you, yeah, you are a sinner, but thank God that God saved you. <laughs> thank thank yes, God that God has, yes. God has buried you in Christ. Um and when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see you. Um, 
and so I think that that's like that solves a lot of that guilt to do. That's excellent. Care, that know? that really is. That's I find it very helpful. Good. <laughs> Well, really? I, yeah, I'm glad I I find it very helpful too. I'm, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's another thing that when we gather together, we can just remind each other that that's rehearsing the story. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, good. Well, good. Well, thank you, Pastor Phil. That was a good conversation. Thank uh, you, I, Eric. I, I really it. enjoyed um, it. I really thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, uh, catch us next week as we talk about encouraged calling. Thanks so much.